Welcome to another episode of Meet Us at Molly's. This is episode two. Uh, I am Gina. I'm here with my co-host, Bryna. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. You guys will be listening to this on Friday. And Miss Ashley. Hello. (laughs) Nice and to the point. All right. So um, on tonight's agenda, so we're going to start off with the news, of course. And there has been a lot of news in the past week. A lot of news. Um, We're going to start off with that. And then we're going to jump right into our discussion of the season five finale of Chicago Fire called My Miracle. Um, I don't know if you guys are ready, Brenna and Ashley, but I am not. I'm not, but I have my wine, so hopefully we can get through this together, guys. Right. Yeah, I, I have my wine, too. This week and next week are going to be doozies, but we're we're going to get through it together. So let's jump right into the news. So the first bit of news we've got is the Chicago PD Season 5 poster. Um, TV Line dropped that today, Thursday, even though you'll be listening to this on Friday. Um and it's not, I don't know, we've, we've, the three of us kind of have mixed opinions on it. Bryna, do you want to kind of kick us off there? Yeah. Um, so basically all the poster is, is Voight, and he looks like he's crossing, um, he's breaking, like, police tape, so he's crossing the line. Um, and I don't have it pulled up, and I know it said some words, and I can't remember what it says, but it's just basically Voight on the poster. I kind of had mixed feelings about this. I mean, I kind of wish, we had talked about it, I kind of wish there was more of the group on there, especially because, you know, this season with Sophia Bush leaving, I mean, this is really the chance for everyone else who hasn't been Voight this whole time to shine and you get their dues in the spotlight. So I kind of wish this season highlighted that a little bit more. But at the same time, I kind of like what I took away from the posters. It kind of seems that like, you know... Voight's going to be crossing, the, continuing to cross the line. I mean, he's breaking the police line. So, like, he's going to – it looks like he's – this season is all going to be about him continuing to cross the line in order to help the city of Chicago. So I'm kind of curious to see how that's going to go, especially because kind of what we've heard is that they're going to be tackling a little bit more of, like, real-world issues, you know, politics, things like that. So I'm kind of curious to see how Voight's character is going to go when he runs into those issues. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not my favorite poster. I don't hate it, but I don't, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is the best poster ever either. Kind of like I was with Fire last week. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, I had in my notes, like, you know, I, I saw the poster and at first I was like, I love it. And now I'm just kind of like, eh. Like, I get that they want to keep it simple this season, but I did put in my notes, I was like, Voight's holding crime scene tape maybe during the eclipse. I can't quite <laughs> tell. Um, yeah, and the tagline, it said, not on our watch. That's what uh, I was looking for. Yeah, not on our watch, which I'm all for. That's awesome. But it kind of seemed a little random, um, especially since the articles that have been coming down are kind of bringing forth the notion that the theme in season five is going to be reform. So I feel like that tagline is a little inconsistent with that theme because when I hear reform I imagine somebody coming down on the unit and this kind of sounds more like the unit coming down on criminals which is what the show is but you know um yeah Ashley did you have any opinions on the uh, the poster 
I mean, I wish everybody else was in it, but I do think there is more posters to come because somebody posted on um, Insta Story that they was all doing promo shoots. Like everybody was like that's a while good. back. So. That, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I mean, the good news here is that since the poster dropped, the promo has to be right behind it somewhere. Um, you know, we've been and the episode for that. description. And the episode description, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit in a, in a few minutes. But yeah, um, so that's the poster. You know, we'll see what more drops. I'm sure maybe as we're recording right now, the promo is like wreaking havoc on Twitter. Um, who knows? But yeah, that's the poster. Um, the other thing or other things that came down this week, there were a lot of articles that hit the internet. Um, one of which came down today, and that was the TV Line preview. Um, TV Line put out a tweet previewing i believe 30 over 30 of the fall shows and teasers as to what's going to happen in those premieres um and ashley why don't you touch a little bit on those uh there's a dawson center episode which and then there's a brett's friends coming into town right hope and then atwater is getting a big episode too yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm super excited for the Dawson-centric episode because you know she's just going to crush it. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. There's something about an underground parking lot collapses or something, but I can already see Gabby just kind of like springing into action and being like, you stand there, you sit here, you shut up, you help me here. She's going to crush it. Um, yeah, Brett's friend Hope, you know, just don't sleep with Severide and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> And the Atwater episode, oh, I have my fingers crossed that it's going to be awesome. I'm just so excited. And especially because, you know, what it says in the article is that it's a, in quotes, important episode that will find Atwater dealing with the fact that he's the surrogate father, so to speak, to his brother and sister. And I think that could be such a great episode, especially because we've seen him a little bit with his brother and sister, but obviously not a whole entire episode centered around that issue. And I think... It could be so good, and I love Atwater so much. And, I mean, we're going to talk about our wish list coming up in a couple of weeks, and, like, that is something that's, like, number two or three on my wish list is I want Atwater to have a legit storyline. I mean, ideally, I'd like him to have a ship too, but, like, I will just take, even if we just get to learn more about him as a character. And so I'm super excited, and I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much with this episode because in case they let us down, like they did when we met Jay and Will's father, but I pray that this is going to be what i hope it is yeah well they the extras casting page did have something about atwater's brother's birthday party they was casting people for that so interesting that's what this is yeah and i think jordan's around like 15 or 16 so that'll be that'll be pretty good well the fact that they refer to him as a surrogate father in this description i mean that's obviously going to come with some heavy stuff so i think it'll be really good Really good. And we know Loris will just knock it out of the park Mm because he does. Yeah, that was good. Um, Another article that came down this week was the Yahoo TV article that specifically previewed just Fire and PD. Um, And some of the things in there, this was an interview. No, it wasn't an interview, but well, it kind of was an interview with Derek Haas, wasn't it? And Ricky, yeah. Yeah, and Ricky, yeah, the, uh, the, the executive producer and showrunner of Fire and PD, respectively. I think I said that right. Um, so some of the things that were notable in that the, you know, as we said before, the theme for Chicago PD in season five is going to be reform. 
Um, so we'll see how that goes because we all know how well Voight deals with rules. Um, another one that I know some of us got excited about was that we might actually learn about Jay's past and it might actually happen and not get deleted this time. So, um, our group text about this was pretty interesting. Um, Bryna, why don't you talk a little bit about this or start us off on this one? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will read exactly what it says in this article. It says, in the category, something you'll learn about a character, it says, with Detective Jay Halstead, we always hinted at the emotional baggage he carries from his time as an army ranger. But in season five, we'll get to finally see Halstead confront his military past when he goes undercover with a group of ex-servicemen. And I think it's that last part about when he goes undercover with a group of ex-servicemen that keeps me hopeful that this can actually be good because I think all the other times that they've tried to drop things in about Jay's past sometimes it's tied in with a case but a lot of times it's not you know I mean most recently with his wife I mean that wasn't tied in with his case at all that was just like background to the case and so I think all of our good actual tidbits about Jay's past have come when it's tied in with a case somehow so I think the fact that this is tied in you know, he's going undercover with a group of ex-servicemen. I mean, you can't get any more tied to Jay than ex-servicemen. So, I mean, I think the fact that it's going to be part of a case and it involves Jay and just all this stuff, that's what keeps me a little bit more hopeful. But again, you know, I always have to take things with a grain of salt because until I see them and they actually make it in an episode, I don't want to get my hopes up, but that's what keeps me more hopeful, I think, than if it was just like, oh, we'll learn about his past some more this season. Right, right. And uh, as a side note, my ear, my eyes always kind of widen a little bit every time you refer to Jay's wife. Like, every time <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, God, I'm like, oh, that happened. I forgot about that. Um, it's just weird. But yeah, um, yeah. And I, I know you and Ashley were pretty excited about it. And I think I just texted back the shrug emoji because... I mean, it's like you were saying about, you know, getting our hopes up and then kind of being let down. Um, And I'm not saying that I'm not like complaining about it from a writer's standpoint. Part of it's my own fault because I just get super excited. And then I'm like, "Ah, okay, that I got way too excited about that. Um, So I'm just kind of I'm going to wait and see. I'm just going to, you know, it sounds amazing. I'm ready. Give me all of Jay's past that you will give me. I'm ready, but I'm just going to kind of sit back and absorb it and then kind of formulate an opinion from there. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, Another one that we saw switching over to fire is that uh, Cruz's brother, Leon, will return. Um, I know Bryna's making a happy motion right there. You can't really see it. Of course not. But um, Leon's coming back. So that will be interesting because the last time we saw him, he was fleeing Chicago um, to escape, I think it was gang violence. It was so yeah. many seasons ago. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. He's coming back and it'll be interesting to see the progress he's made. Uh, and you know, Cruz is, Cruz left off in a bit of a bad place. Uh, so we'll see kind of how they gel together and how that goes. And I'm excited for that. That'll be good. I always liked Leon. Uh, the other thing in there was about Severide. So, Severide has a bit of a no house guests allowed rule in the premiere. And I think we should start a pool of how long we think that's going to last. Because I will take five minutes right now. Right. I mean, in the thing, the article says, like, he has this policy until he doesn't. So, like, clearly something's going to happen in the first episode that's like, oh, Severide's got to break this rule that he's going to try so hard to keep. But it's not going to work out. 
So, yeah, I'm with you. I think it takes not that long at all. Not long at all. Did y'all see Miranda's Insta story? Uh, The one from today? Yeah. She was doing ADR, and she looked like she was at Severide's door. So maybe, I don't know if that means, what that means. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Who Um, knows? Who knows? Yeah, there's there was something in an article that he's gonna go back to his bad boy ways a bit, and I was like, of course he is. <laughs> Around the circle, the we circle, go. yeah, the circle of Severide. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. But I mean, I love Stella, and I love Stella with Severide, so we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I've got my fingers crossed that you know Severide maybe snaps out of his ways, but I the no house gets allowed rule. I give maybe until the end of six oh one if I'm feeling generous. Um, let's True. see what else we've got. So also uh, the or you know as we were saying before, executive producer of Chicago Fire, Derek Haas, uh, he did an interview with Hollywood Life this week, and there were also some pretty interesting tidbits in there. One of which he pretty much confirmed that Severide lives. And I mean, we all kind of knew that um, based on behind the scene photos and things like that. Uh, he also said that Severide will be getting a roommate from the cast. And I feel like this is where Stella comes in because the episode description for 601 says that Stella goes head to head with his or with her landlord. So I am perfectly OK with that. What do you guys think of Severide and Stella maybe moving in together? I like it. I'm good with it. Yeah, no, I'm totally okay with it. I mean, we've kind of talked about this. We talked about it last week a little bit. Just how good the Stella and Severide friendship is. And, you know, I mean, after Severide lost Shay, I mean, he was in a really bad place. And it was kind of not until Stella came along that, you know, he was really able to confide in someone the way he did with Shay. And so I think them being roommates can only help, you know, help each other out, whether it's in whatever difficult situations they're going to find themselves as in in this season. So, I mean, I'm totally okay with it. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I, I like their friendship. It's really good. I love the scene in the episode before the finale when it's right after Anna dies and Stella just kind of shows up at his door with food and Space Jam. That's a good friend. Yeah. A great friend. That's I a want great her friend. to be my friend. She's goals. I know. Total friendship goals. Uh, yeah, and so, and something else that was in there, uh, Derek said that they will intentionally plant things in the background of social media posts to throw us off. Um, of course they will. That made me laugh. I thought that was funny. I was like, of course, Derek, of course. Um, right, and especially because after that came his tweet about, you know, you, he's in his, I guess, his office or whatever it was, and there's, like, the whiteboard, and they have all the things. It's like, call in BC, you know, do this, do this, and then it's like, don't spoil that and then his head blocks whatever the name is or whatever that dies and I was like oh Derek you're just such a you know I love you this is so that was so great that was such a great tweet Derek we know you listen we love you please come on the show we will pay you in peanut butter M&Ms we totally will um yeah anyway um the other thing that I had in there was uh, the the teaser about Mr. Sprinkles okay let's get some guesses out there what do we think Mr. Sprinkles is I really have no good idea. Like, none. Zip, zilch. I, I don't know. Me either. The only thing that came to me today as I typed this out in the outline, I was like, I kind of hope it's some stuffed animal that Otis used to sleep with. That's what I thought was like, it's got to be like something silly like a stuffed animal. But like, 
maybe like a unicorn or something. Like it's got to be something kind of out there. But I don't know because I don't know how that's going to tie in. I I don't know. I could see it being a childhood thing of Brett's that Hope brings up and Brett's like, stop. Oh, that could be good. That's a good idea. That would be a good one, too. But uh, I mean, yeah, I'm ready. I don't know. Derek said in that interview, he's like, I've hyped it up too much. But, you know. Right. And I think that kind of thing, though, I think that's kind of going to be almost like a love letter to the fandom who's like so invested and like actually cares on the Internet. Because like if you just watch the show and you don't know anything about the show like that you read online or anything like you just solely tune in on Thursday nights on NBC, you're not going to pick that reference up. But like, you know, us as like someone who reads Twitter and like reads these articles and things like that, like we're going to know it's somewhat important. So like, I think that's kind of going to be cool to see like who picks it up and who doesn't and kind of show like it's almost like a little love letter to the fandom in some ways. Yeah, that'll be good. It'll be kind of like an Easter egg. That'll be really cool. Yeah. So the other news we got this week, um, starting on October 1st, Chicago PD will air in reruns on USA. That makes me so happy. Um, Yeah, uh, nothing is better than flipping the channels on a weekend and running across USA and seeing SVU reruns. Only now PD is going to be in there, too. So that's just going to be awesome. I'm pretty much going to be useless for all weekends here on out. (laughs) Um, I'm excited about that. Um, And the last bit that we got that was interesting, we got the Chicago Fire episode description for episode 601. Um, Ashley, you're the one who put that out in the group text this week. Why don't you go ahead and talk about it? Stella goes head to head with her landlord and then maybe Stella and Severide are roommates, which I think could be. Right, yeah, that was one thing that they touched on. Um, what about they had they had hinted about a fire at Donna's school where Donna teaches, um, Chief Bowden's wife. So that'll be interesting. I love Donna. I'm so glad she'll come. I I love when she's in episodes. That's just like my own little like side note. I love Donna. Yeah, same, same. She's awesome. Uh, I never watched Teen Wolf, but I've heard she's got a pretty big role there. But yeah, she's awesome. I love her ability to just level with Bowden and be like Bowden cut the shit i love that um she's great and the little baby oh so cute um yeah so 601 should be really good and i think the countdown's only to like three weeks now so i'm ready that's crazy isn't it so crazy it's coming up so soon holy moly you can curse it's okay there's (laughs) 20 days to pd and 21 till fire yeah so Ah. three weeks from tonight when we're recording on thursday night from fire wow holy shit yeah, yeah. Only we'll be recording a lot later because we will be getting ready for fire. Um, yeah. Yes. So, you know, the episode description sounds really good. We're eagerly awaiting a PD episode description. It hasn't dropped yet. The minute it does, though, we will be all over it. So we're excited about that. Um, yeah, so that's all the news we've got. You know, if, if any news ever comes up that, you know, you're not sure if we've seen, please email it to us. Um, meet us at mollys at gmail.com. Or tweet us, also at Meet Us at Molly's. Uh, we're always, one of us is always on Twitter, so please, please feel free to do that. So, all right, let's jump into the episode itself. Uh, are you guys ready to go back to the factory fire? I'm not, but I'm hoping we'll talk about that last, because I need some time to let this wine sink in. Yeah, you need to finish your glass. Uh, actually, let's take a moment so I can grab my glass. Hang on two seconds. Yeah, no, I, the factory fire is like, it was so emotional. And I, you know, as we were rewatching this, you know, we all rewatched it this week. And I think 
I didn't remember how in that moment in May when I was sitting on my couch watching it, how emotionally, how much, how emotional it really was. And I like started watching it at like midnight one night and I was like, I need to save the last 10 minutes of the factory fire. Like I can't do this. Like I can't do this at 1am. Like I need to like calm down and watch it when I'm like in a sober, like awake mindset because that 10 minutes is a lot to take in. Yeah, that last 10 was brutal. I'm back, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed to get my wine. Um, okay, so so let's start off with kind of a recap of what happened in the episode before in 521. So really quickly, just kind of touching on that. So Matt had the idea to come forward with the first responders bill after the accident that claimed, I think, two or three lives of the men on Canel's squad. Um, so he put forth the first responder bill. Let's see what else happened. Um, Cruz had an incident at the bar he was working at and the guy ended up noticing his Chicago fire department tattoo and came forward. So now he's, well, no, that happened in the episode. Um, I think those are the only two like pertinent things that had happened in that episode, like leading into the finale, right? Yeah. That's all that really needs to like, that carries over. Oh, oh, wait, hold Ramon. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just about to say Ramon. Ramon plays a big part of 522. Right, because Ramon kind of surf- resurfaces in Gabby's life. And as the episode goes on, he's coming into money problems. All sorts of crazy stuff is happening. And then the episode ends with Gabby and Casey escorting a very, very drunk Ramon out of the bar. So that is where we stood going into 522. So we're going to break down this finale in terms of the different storylines with the different characters. Uh, we're not necessarily going to go chronological, but here goes. So we open with Casey and he is in a bit of a town hall and it's kind of chaotic. So Alderman Blakesley, who is a really nice guy, and by really nice guy, I mean he's a jerk. Um, he's opposing Casey's first responder bill. And he's just kind of ripping it apart and Casey gets up there and the crowd is just like, they, they just kind of are crazy and they start yelling at Matt. Um, and this is where things, I'm just kind of like, this is where I kind of looked at the screen and I was like, is it me or is him being an alderman incredibly out of character? I was so glad. I mean, this is kind of jumping ahead in the episode, but like. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen 522, I'm about to spoil something. (laughs) When he steps down as an alderman, I was, like, so relieved because, I mean, it was a nice storyline. I mean, it lasted a little way too long, but it was a nice storyline. But it was never one that I saw being long-term. Like, I never saw Casey being an alderman until, you know, if fire goes for 10 seasons. I never saw him being an alderman for the until season 10. Um, No, because obviously – it's not Casey's most important job, and we've seen, we've seen that a lot, you know. It always seems to be conflicting whether, you know, it's with his fi- his duties as a firefighter or even his duties as a husband. Um, and so I'm really glad that happened. But, yeah, I kind of – when you put brought up that point to us in our text that, like, is a little out of character, I, like, stopped back and think, and I was like, in some ways it is. I mean, I think in the ways that it's not out of character is that, you know, Casey really cares about the community that he serves – And so he saw this as just another way that he could do that and impact maybe a different group of people. Because as a firefighter, he can only impact the group of people when they're in distress. And I mean, in some ways, you know, if the community needs help from an alderman, in some ways they are in distress. But, you know, in general, like, 
being an alderman is a different just a different way for him to impact a different group of people so in that way I saw it not as out of character but at the same time that's not Casey the like Casey's not a politician you know he is not that person and so in that way I was like yeah I guess it is a very out of character decision but like I said I'm glad he stepped down Ashley your thoughts I agree with you I'm glad he stepped down too I was kind of over that whole storyline and everything yeah. yeah, Bryna, I completely agree with you. You know, I uh, I, I was kind of thinking about it yesterday or today, actually, because, you know, I had that thought and then I thought about it a little and then I kind of wavered and I was like, maybe it's not out of character. And I think his reasons for doing it were in character, but I think towards the end is when it became out of character for him. Um, right. And Bri- and- yeah. Go ahead, Bryna. No, and I was going to say, now that you say that, I think towards the end, I'm glad in some ways that the writers never drop this storyline because, you know, consistency is important and it's important that you bring up the things that if they're still playing part of these characters' lives, like you bring them up because we these are the characters that you've created. But at the same time, towards the end, it almost seemed like they brought it up because they had to. Like, I probably would have enjoyed the storyline more had they just forgotten it because it didn't really make sense in some ways. But at the same time, I'm glad the writers continue to bring it up because I always preach consistency in their storylines. So that's kind of how I felt was like, I kind of hated it at the end because they kept bringing it up, but I was proud that they kept bringing it up because I preach consistency. Right. But I mean, if you think about that, how many times have we had storylines that they've completely forgotten? Um, Olinsky's daughter comes to mind, not Lexi, may she rest in peace, Michelle. Right. Um, yeah, so how many times have they done that and it's driven us crazy? So, you know, I am glad that they gave us closure, but I, you know, I do think that, you know, his reasons for getting into it were in character, but it's like you said, you hit the nail on the head, Brina. He's not a politician. It's just not the career he's built for. Standing in front of a crowd and being yelled at by a bunch of angry people is just, that's the last thing I could see Matt Casey wanting to do. Um, so, right. you know what? Yeah, it was, you know, it, it, I think it came to an appropriate end. Um, I agree. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of glad because now he can focus on being a firefighter. So that's good. Um, so, yeah, so we get past the town hall and Casey and Blakesley are hating each other, as they should be. Um, and then Matt, being the person he is, is all, you know, come to Molly's. Let's talk about it, which further proves my point that he is not a politician or actually proves your point, Bryna, um, because what politician is like, hey, come to my wife's bar and let's talk about this. But No, no politicians are that nice. I live in D.C. There are no politicians <laughs> that nice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just kind of and it kind of goes back to show, you know, how it just reiterates how Matt's not built for this. He's too nice to be a politician. And in this world, he's so naive about things, you know. He doesn't know how things go. Like, he wasn't, you know, he didn't. It's not like he studied political science in college. Like, he doesn't know how these things go. And so, like you said, Gina, when he says, like, hey, let's meet at Molly's over a drink and I'll maybe give up something, you know, I'm willing to give up if you get, if you're willing to make a deal on your end. Like, that's not really how politics works. I mean, it is, but, like, it's not at the same time, you know, in actual reality. So, like, the fact that Matt thinks that that's how that's going to go is, like, oh, Matt, that's so nice. Like, you think that's how this is going to go. But, like, as we see in the episode, like, it doesn't actually go that way. Yeah, and I, it's also not the first time we've seen him played on a political level. You know, he, he kind of was getting eaten alive. So, you know, it's good that the storyline came to an end when it did. So, 
Um, yeah, so Blakesley goes to Molly's. They're about to have a really civil, unheard of agreement where they're like shaking hands like, yeah, great, great compromise. Good talk. And then uh, Ramon kind of comes in and ruins everything. Um, yep. Yeah. Does one of you want to talk about Ramon? Because I've got nothing nice to say about Ramon. I don't either. But I mean, he basically just, you know, him being Ramon. I mean, he's at a bar, so he's got some alcohol in his system. And, you know, he starts running his mouth. And I loved how Gina, you put in her thing, you know, goes all mean girls and starts, you know, <laughs> he knows that Casey doesn't like Blakesley. And so Ramon starts spitting the truth because that's what alcohol makes you do. You know, it's a truth serum. And so he starts ruining everything. And then, you know, after that, Blakesley leaves and is like, no, we don't have a deal. And, you know, Ramon, you know, Casey gets pissed because Ramon just ruined everything. And Gabby tries to soften it up. And it basically ends with Matt being like, I'm not going to stay at home that night. And I'm like, my first reaction, I literally wrote my notes was like, what the fuck? Because like that, I get it. You're upset. You have the right to be upset. But like, was it really that big of a deal that you feel the need to stay away from your wife who had nothing to do with anything? Like, I was like, what the actual fuck, Casey? Yeah, it's such an overreaction. I was like, who's the drama queen now, Matt? Like, seriously? <laughs> um, yeah, and those, the way he said it, he was like, I'm going to find somewhere else to sleep. It's like, okay, go be a child. Go have your hissy fit. Just, okay. Um, that was crazy, you know. And Ramon was entirely in the wrong, as he typically always is. You know, yeah. I'm, I will forever hold a grudge against Ramon for the Vow Renewal episode, where he basically said that divorcing mama dawson was like the best decision he ever made i was like dude this is not the way to introduce me to you like i hate you now um yeah so you know ramon ruined it but casey also overreacted terribly so um casey goes and sleeps at severides whatever um i do want to touch on uh what's well no we have we're, t- we're gonna talk dossie later right so i'll save yeah. on that i'll save that um basically the whole political thing ends up with you know, he had a town hall he wasn't going to go to, and then he ended up going, and um, he goes to the town hall, and he ends up stepping down, and he appoints Tamara as his successor. Um, so, you know, all's well that ends well. Thankfully, that ended. Uh, something I did find interesting in that point was when the lead up to that scene, how he had just had a fight with Gabby, and Herman was like, I have to go. Like, can we can we leave? And Casey was like, go without me. I have something to do. And having something to do was not chasing after the wife he just pissed off. It was going to do alderman things. Which is exactly what Gabby had gotten mad at him for. I don't know. I found that funny. I just, um, it's interesting because I hadn't thought of it like that. But yeah, that is interesting that. But I mean, I guess, you know, I wonder if Casey just had the alderman stuff in the back of his mind. And like, he knew that like at this town hall, it was happening then like. Yes, he should have gone and made up with Gabby, but at the same time, like, this meeting was happening at this point. It couldn't have happened at a different time, whereas Gabby could have waited just a little bit longer. So maybe that's what he was thinking, but that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, and I, it's just, I, and I get that it was, you know, he had to do the alderman thing to make it right with Gabby. I get that, but it's still just kind of funny that, like, you know, he's not going to chase after the wife he just pissed off. Um, right. But he's just going to go do alderman things instead, which made me laugh so hard. Uh, yeah, so the next thing we had in our, mo- our notes was actually the whole thing with Dossie and Ramon. So that's a perfect segue. Um, yeah, so Ramon's on the outs. He's got money issues. And Matt comes in from getting screamed at by crazy Chicago citizens to see Ramon living on his couch. Um, 
this is a really interesting bit. So he starts spewing some ridiculous metaphor about life cereal, which I thought was stupid. Um, and then as Matt's about to go in the bedroom, Ramon calls him Maddie, which makes me laugh so hard because, you know, you know, I've got a couple Matt's in my life and, you know, I call maybe one or two of them Maddie, but like, that's not a pet name I would use on Casey of all people. I'm like, you're going to call him Maddie. Really? Okay. Um, <laughs> he was like, Maddie, can we have like nonfat milk in the house or something? Like he's like a teenage roommate or something. Just pathetic. Um, yeah. But then Casey goes into the bedroom. He's all cranky and you know, yeah. Casey's all, I want him out. Blah, blah, blah. Gabby's not really having it. Um, uh, and that just kind of progresses throughout the episode until we get to the point where, um, I put in our notes that he and Gabby have a whisper fight. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but it's when Gabby storms into the office and she's like, you're being selfish. And she says it's super low. Like, yeah, I thought that was hilarious because Gabby, you, I mean, Gabby is the one character on Chicago Fire that I would never piss off. And like, you know, you done fucked up when Gabby's having a whisper fight with you and telling you why you're so wrong. Yeah, no, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's just funny, though, that like, you know, they really don't. I think part of the reason I think the whisper fight part's funny is because, like, they don't really have a great place to have this fight because they can't have it. They're in the firehouse when they try to have it, you know, in Matt's office. But, like, they can't have it just, like, in the common space because everyone else is around them. They can't have it at home because the fight is technically about Ramon and Ramon is at their house. They can't have it at Molly's because they're not going to have it in public in front of, you know, strangers who come into this bar. So where else do they have to have, like, I just think it's funny that you bring it up. It's like, where else can they have this fight? But in Matt's office and they, even then they still have to be quiet. So like, it's just, it's just funny. Like, it's funny that you called it a whisper fight. Cause it's so true. It is so true. And there was, there was a point in that fight where, uh, you know, Gabby was like, you're being selfish. That's not what marriage is. And Casey goes, yeah, but part of marriage is listening and you're not doing that. And I was like, wait a second, Casey, you're not doing it either. So don't go there. Yeah. I just, you know, Casey, I feel like acted like a child in the finale, but it, you know, yeah, it, it was, it was amusing to watch, but you know, you're right, Bryna, that like, where else were they going to have this fight? They had to have it somewhere and it had to be the office, which just, you know, the whole situation just makes me laugh. Um, yeah. So the whole Ramon, Casey, Gabby dynamic, it plays out throughout the episode. Um, one thing I thought was hilarious was when they had cigar time, Casey and Severide had cigar time, which is yes. the best. Yes. Yes. Best. I wrote, I wrote in like just some random things like, the cigar time, like, their their cigar chats are, like, the best thing ever. Like, I love when they have cigar chats. I want one per episode, pretty much. It's so great. It's so great. I love it so, so much. Um, Part of that, in, in that scene, so, um, you know, Casey and Severide are talking. Casey's all, you know, Casey's talking to Severide about the drama, and Severide's talking to Casey about Cruz. And as that's happening, the alarm goes off for Ambo 61. So we see Brett and Gabby get into the ambulance. Before it happens, though, Gabby gives him this side eye that says so much without saying anything at all, which cracks me up. Uh, Yeah, because, I mean, again, if I had to piss off or if there was one character on Chicago Fire that I would never piss off, it would be Gabby because she will ruin you. Um, Yeah, so the side eye was great. Um, And then later on... In the episode, she gets really frustrated about the situation. I think it's after the whisper fight that she gets really upset. And she talks to Brett and Brett is all, you need to tell Casey all of these things. 
Um, don't miss your chance. Tell them before it's too late. And obviously we know how that ends. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ashley, do you have any thoughts about the situation here with Dossie and Ramon? No, y'all hit all the points. Yeah. I agree. Just... And my other question here is, where is Antonio in all of this? He's the single one. He's the one with the space in his house. He should be having Ramon over and not Gabby. Where the hell is he in all of this? But I don't know. I think, I mean, just like as, I mean, obviously this is way, reading way too much into this, especially because like Antonio is not in this situation, but I think it's more of just a like father-daughter connection. Like, you know, there's something special about that bond. Not that a father-son bond isn't just as special in a different way, but like, I think it's more that like a daughter stereotypically is going to be the more nurturing one. And so it makes sense in that way that, you know, when something goes wrong with a father, the daughter's going to be one to step up first. That's not saying Antonio doesn't step up at all, but that Dawson is going to be the one that's like, oh, yeah, like, you can come stay with us, you know. And let's be real. I mean, I feel like Dossie, for the most part, tends to be a little bit more stable than Antonio, you know, especially because Antonio is technically living this single life now. Like, you know, it makes more sense that he would move in with, like, the stable married couple, you know, that than, like, his single son. That's true. And I do remember Antonio wanting to fight his dad at the vow renewal. Yeah, Antonio was pissed. He was pissed. And I was kind of all for it, actually. I was like, if you want to sucker punch him, please go right ahead. I'm okay right, with especially that. because Antonio being a boxer, like Antonio would actually like truly sucker punch him. It would be great. It, it kind of would be great, actually. Not that we condone violence, but not at all. Not at all. <laughs> we don't condone violence, but we hate asshole characters. True. True. True so, you know. Uh, yeah. So what else are we missing about the whole Dossie situation in the finale? I mean, until we get to the end, but we're going to save that for when we talk about the factory fire. Because I have some I'm thoughts not, on that. Yeah, I'm not drunk enough to talk about the factory fire <laughs> yet. Yeah. Oh, it's so brutal. Um, Let's take a detour here and let's talk about Cruz and Mouch. So... Uh, this situation. Um, Ashley, fill us in here with Cruz and Mouch. What is the deal? Cruz is mad at Mouch because of his 60-day suspension. And then he tells Mouch that he's out of touch and he feels like Mouch didn't go to bat for him. Oh, that situation is kind of it's a mess. It's so bad. And, like, I really... Because of everything that happens in the last 10 minutes with the factory fire... I, I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about this part of the storyline, you know, when I, like, it's been all summer, like, I haven't really thought about fire, I haven't gone back to watch this episode yet until this week, and I really forgot about that part, so it really hit me hard when I forgot, I was like, oh shit, like, Cruz is about to get suspended, like, he and Mouch are at bad terms, like, you know, Mouch is like, everyone's like, second father, kind of like Herman, kind of like Bowden, and like, it made me so sad to see them all fighting, I was like, no, like, stop, it, like, it made me like, Oh, it was so emotional. For real. I feel like this finale was basically just an hour of Casey and Cruz acting like children. Because the suspension comes down and Mouch tries to fix the situation. And when he can't, Cruz goes from like zero to 60 in one second. And he's just, you know, he's like, Mouch, you let me down. You're so out of touch. All you said was thank you. And Mouch is just so emotional about it. And he's like, I'm sorry I let you down. Um... Yeah, yeah, it's just, Cruz just kind of, you know, he overreacts too, but I get it. He's hurt, he's upset, and he can't pay for Leon's college now. So, you know, I get the emotion there, but 
God, it's just, you know, I don't like it when anybody fights in the firehouse, but it yeah. was bad. Yeah, and there's kind of two things I want to bring up. Like, so first thing, like, when it comes, to, I mean, Mouch, even though he's not on the level of, like, Severide and Casey when it comes to main characters, like, Mouch is still considered a main character in the firehouse world. And so when it comes to main characters, though, like, Mouch is someone who I've always kind of taken for granted. And, you know, because he's always there, you know, I've never had to kind of really worry about him. And so for a lot of different reasons in this episode, like, you really start to worry about Mouch. And it kind of just made me realize that, like, there's so many characters in this firehouse that I love and that, you know, even though there's different levels of main characters, like, you know, there's some we don't always see and, like, but I just kind of tend to take them for granted and Mouch has definitely been one of them. And, like, you know, he's such an important part of Firehouse 51 and for all the kind of reasons in this episode, it made me remind, I was like, oh, yeah, Mouch is, like, so important and I'm, like, don't want to see him leave and you know whether he's going to leave or not you know we'll talk about that in a little bit but like it just made me remind it just reminded myself that like every character in this firehouse 51 is so important and you know I love them all dearly but also something I thought was interesting too is that like Kelly is the one that kind of in this cruise and mount situation like Kelly's the one that kind of tries to step in and save the day and you know he's the one that kind of tries to talk to Cruz and be like yo, like, I get you're upset, like, I've been there, like, but, like, you're being stupid, like, you're being an asshole, like, stop, you know, treating Mouch this way, and Cruz doesn't kind of react in the way I think Kelly thinks he would, especially coming from, like, Kelly has a place of authority, and then we learn, you know, that Kelly has to make this decision about some, like, employment, I don't remember exactly what it is, I think it's, like, basically who's gonna stay in rotation after this, because of, like, Canel being this extra person and you know Cruz's suspension like Kelly has this decision to make and I think Kelly you could see the wheels turning in Kelly's head that like is this you know is the way Cruz is acting like is that something that's going to play into my decision and so I just think it was interesting though that Kelly of all people is the one that tries to step in and save the day especially because not that it was out of character because it's definitely not but it's something we would typically tend to see like Matt do and so for Kelly to be the one to do it I thought that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> sorry. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, you, you know how much people care. Or, I mean, you know, you're in good standing with squad when Severide is the one checking on you. Cause right. you know, he was so in his head with his own issues about Anna and everything that, you know, for him to check on you and make sure the unit's okay. It's a big deal. So, you know, that was a big deal. But I just, yeah, I just kind of, I hated how Cruz treated Mouch in this episode, how he was yelling at him at Molly's and just harassing him. Um, And, you know, just kind of giving him the silent treatment. I thought that was horrible. And it gets to a point where, you know, it starts to get to Mouch a little bit. And sorry, I like have the hiccups now, which is so not convenient. Um, Yeah. So Mouch starts to contemplate retirement and, you know. He talks to his old buddy in one of the old firehouses about another job, and then he just kind of starts thinking about retiring, and, you know, he has a really sweet moment with Platt at Molly's where, you know, she walks in, and he just kind of looks at her, and he's like, it's time, and she just smiles and is like, okay, like, totally supportive of him, and, but, you know, it's kind of sad that Cruz is shaking his confidence, and Cruz is just too self-absorbed in his own stuff to realize that he's hurting his friend, um, yeah, but of course, like we said, that all changes in the last 10 minutes, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, and so then, you know, when they get to said factory fire, um, Mouch springs it on Herman and is like, oh, P.S., before we run into this burning building together, I'm retiring. This is Which, my last shift. I'm like, what the fuck? 
fuck? Like, <laughs> right, just springs it on him. And if I've noticed anything just from watching television in general, not just the Chicago franchise, don't ever announce what you're going to do in the future because we already know it's going to go terribly, terribly wrong. So for Mouch to be or yeah, Mouch is like, this is my last fire. This is it. I'm like, why did you say that? Why did you put that out into the universe? Because now something horrible is going to happen. Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. So we'll see kind of how that resolves itself. But yeah. Um, yeah. So the other thing we wanted to talk about was the baseball cards kid. And this is the kid from the first call of the episode. Uh, yeah, the first call, it's a car accident on this bridge. And something gets me, something is weird to me about this call is that, you know, this is a situation where the bridges go up and down in Chicago to let boats pass by. And in this case, the boat was half up and the father said he didn't notice it. I'm like, wait, but how do you not notice a giant bridge half up? And yeah. Then you, yeah. How did you not notice that? And then you swerved to avoid it because that's going to help. Yeah. It's just one of those little things where, like, plot-wise, it doesn't make sense if you think about it too much. But, like, you just kind of got to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, I've had my fair share of calls on Chicago Fire where I look at them and I'm like, but wait a second. I want to know how that happened. (laughs) You're being too practical, Gina. You're being too practical. I know. I know. I know. TV. Um, I don't know if you guys remember – yeah, I just, you know, that's how my brain ticks. But I don't know if you guys remember the beginning of season three when Brett, like, first came on. Or not even beginning of season three, but there's an episode. It's when Peter goes back to being a medic. And it's one of Brett and Mills' like, first calls together. And there's, like, this, there's kind of a ditch in the ground or something. And th- this car is literally, like, this car is flipped over in this ditch to the yes. point that the bottom of the car is, like, ground level. And so I'm, like... But wait, how did that happen? I need to know this. How do these people find themselves in such binds? But I, Right, I just, and it's yeah. like in that episode, it's like the ditch was like basically perfectly for the size of the car. And it's just like, hmm, like I wonder, <laughs> like it's not like, oh, it was this big giant hole that they were going to build a building in and a car went in it. No, it's like basically if they were digging a grave for this car, like it's like that perfect <laughs> size. And I'm like, whatever like okay we'll just go with it yeah so in case you were ever wondering about what keeps me up at three in the morning it's that how do these (laughs) people get into those situations um yeah so anyway that was just something going through my mind he's like i didn't notice the bridge was up how did you not notice the bridge was up okay anyway um yeah so the car turns over which he's incredibly lucky it turned over and didn't go into the water but whatever um yeah, so, uh, you know, the car went over, blah, 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 whatever. So Herman ends up saving him. He jumps in the car and Herman notices that this kid's got a ton of baseball cards and they bond a little bit about it, which is cool. Uh, Herman gets him out and he's kind of waiting with Brett and I almost said Brett. Wait, no. Yeah, he's waiting with Brett and Gabby to go to Chicago Med and uh, they're talking about the Cubs and all this stuff. It's a really sweet way that Herman bonds with him. Um, so we go on and it turns out, you know, our Herman decides that he wants to give this kid his baseball card collection. Um, so we get a great scene where he's in the storage room, which I think used to be Gabby's apartment at the end of season four, I think. Um yeah, and so he's going through all of his things, and anytime Cindy Herman pops up, it's always hilarious. And so it's a great time. 
It's such a great time. And so Sydney pops up and she's like, what the hell are you doing? And Herman's like, where are my baseball cards? And Sydney basically recites this history of garage sales. And he's like, she's like, you sold it this year to get this thing that you sold this year to get that thing that you sold that year. And Herman's basically like, oh, damn it. Which is yeah. so funny. Um, God, I wish we saw more Cindy Herman. She's so great. I know. She's probably my favorite of like, I mean, I love all of them. Like I love Donna and, you know. I just I love all the like spouses and things like that, but like Cindy Herman is probably my favorite one. Yeah, she's oh she's so great. Um, yeah, so you know the episode goes on, and finally the kid gets released from the hospital, and Herman surprises him with everybody from Truck except for Casey, and they take him to Wrigley, where he gets to meet a bunch of the Cubs. Um, Chris yeah, Bryant. Baseball is not my sp- Chris Bryant. Chris, okay. Good. Ashley knows who they're talking about because I. Yes. I, I think one of the guys they showed was on Dancing with the Stars. David. Last David Ross. David Ross. Okay. Okay. Good. Um. Yeah. He pops up. Chris Brian. Whoever you said. Ashley pops up. <laughs> Bryant. Okay. Um. Couple other cubbies pop up, and then Mike Tarico pops up. I know he's a commentator, so I've got that going for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all there, and, you know, Otis has a total fangirl moment, and he's like, you're Mike Tirico, and he's like, yes, and Otis just goes, I love Mike Tirico, <laughs> which is hilarious, because yeah. I can imagine myself saying something stupid like that. Um, you know, so the kid gets the autographs, which is so cool, and then the call comes in. Wait, wait, hold on. Back to the baseball cards thing in this moment. I think my favorite part of this whole moment, though, was, like, I'm literally, like, low-key crying when, like... He gets the ball and he gets it signed by Chris Bryant. And then he asks Herman to autograph it. Yes. How can I forget that? I'm just like sitting here and I'm just like, oh my God. Like, this is so great. And Herman's so great. And this whole fire truck. And I was like, this is just like, it's just so good. Like, I was just like sitting here bawling. And then I've obviously, you know, the calls coming in fire. And I'm just like, and then it gets like a different kind of emotional, but this is just like happy tears all around. And it's just like, it's probably one of my favorite fire moments of like, and I forgot this one when we talked about our favorite fire moments last week, but that one's got to be up there. It's so good. Yes. I hate myself for forgetting that. I'm sorry. I forgot that. That was a great, great moment. Oh, it was so sweet. And Herman's face. He's like, will you sign it? And Herman's like, seriously? Right. So great. Oh, it was so sweet. And just that's who Herman is. He's just got a big old heart. Just so sweet. Yeah. I love that. So, uh, Okay, is there anything else we need to talk about before we get to the factory fire? Unfortunately not. <laughs> okay, let's take a moment for Brian and I to finish our glasses of wine. Yep. Because <laughs> we got to jump in. <laughs> yep. Mm. <laughs> she okay. just chugged it. Well Last done, sip. We're good. <laughs> I just chugged that. Let's do it. Okay, uh, so the factory fire. So the call comes in, the alarm goes off, and I think everybody's first reaction is all, you know, just a run-of-the-mill call. Okay. So they roll up, and it's a factory fire. And the thing that gets me here in watching, rewatching the episode is that this call went from, like, a regular call to really fucking bad really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I have wine in me now, so I'm going to curse a whole lot, but whatever. <laughs> um yeah, so they roll up, and this building is just burning head to toe. Um, you know, Casey deploys his troops, whatever. The first thing out of Bowden's mouth, he's like, I have a bad feeling about this. And I think he gives everybody a time limit. He's like, four minutes, tops. Like, in and out, let's go. 
because he notices the smoke is really bad and just yeah Bowden has a bad feeling and that's how you know shit is about to get real when Bowden has a really bad feeling about something so yeah <sighs> okay so everybody goes in let's see here I, I just I took like really detailed notes on this episode yeah let's yeah see. no and I think just going off kind of while you're collecting your thoughts Gina I think in terms of this just the series finale in general and just like kind of how the factory fire in the last 10 minutes plays into it I think for me I think this finale was one of easily one of the most kind of emotional of this entire series and I think that says a lot because usually you know we expect to know that our these firefighters that we care so much about like they're gonna go in they're gonna do their jobs and they're gonna emerge from that fire like alive most of the time well you know sometimes they're bruised and they're hurt and whatever but like for the most part at least they're alive you know but this one I mean the writers really took that comfort comfortability that we have and delivered kind of this like really emotional blow that like the fact that like we end the season basically with like seven or eight people inside this thing. We don't know if they're okay. And so the fact that they use that comfort level that we all have and turned the switches on us, I mean, it made it for such a good, I mean, a very emotional, but a really good series finale or season finale and, I mean, I thought that was just a really good, like, ending to the season. I mean, it hurts as he- like hell to watch back, but it was it was so good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it had been a while since they had left us with this kind of cliffhanger. I mean, the last time we had a cliffhanger where somebody was in peril was obviously the end of season two. Um, rest in peace, Shay. Rest in peace, Shay. Ugh, pour some out for Shay. Uh, <laughs> True. Uh, yeah uh yeah so it had been a while since they'd really brought it home so it was it was time um unfortunately i hate to say that because i don't like to encourage that but you know you did good writers you did good so yeah so everybody goes in and you know things just go from you know regular fire to like this isn't okay to kind of bad to really bad to holy shit to credits so it's a great you know, description the, of it. Isn't it, though? Um, so, you know, I think my, my notes here are a little out of order. But, you know, Casey gets going. Severide and Stella get going. Herman and Mouch get going. And, you know, they're bringing people out. Things are happening. So far, so good. So, at this point, Bowden notices that the fire is in the tresses, which I think is a fancy word for oh shit. Pretty much. Uh, okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> No more wine for Gina doing the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so the fire gets into the trusses. He orders everybody out, and then this is when things just go insane. So yep. the first thing that happens is Herman and Mouch are about to get out. Herman's like, Mouch, let's go. Herman turns around, and Mouch collapses. And Ugh. Hugh Brynus screams. Like, I forgot that Mouch had, like, a heart attack, basically, in the middle of this fire. And I was, like, I literally was sitting there watching. I was, like, oh, shit. Like, God, like, mm. Especially because, like, I don't know what's going to happen to Mouch. And I think, for me, the biggest thing in terms of the question marks around Mouch is not whether he's going to leave Firehouse 51. I feel like, for me, it's going to be, like, how he leaves. Like, is it going to be on his own terms or is, like, because we know someone dies. We know that someone dies and, like, we see it in 601. So is it going to be Mouch leaving on his own terms or is it going to be Mouch in a body bag? And, I, like, I feel like in my gut feeling, 
it's telling me that Mouch is the one that dies. And it pains me so much because, you know, I love Mouch. Like, I mean, I just talked about Mouch for a long time. And I think, you know, the show isn't really new to, like, kind of big deaths. You know, we, like we said, like, the last time we really saw someone in 51's life in peril was with Shay. And, you know, we know that, like, I mean, no one was expecting Shay to actually die. And then she died. And we were like, oh, shit. Like, they can actually do that. And they'll do it with a main character. So, like, I really hope Match isn't on this list, but, like, the fact that he got a heart attack and, like, he seems the one least likely to survive, it breaks my heart, but I hope it's not Match, but I kind of think it is. Uh, it's so tricky because, you know, we've seen the behind-the-scenes pictures out of that have been coming down from season six, and Christian Stolte has been in them. Um But, you but know, didn't that happen with Lauren German, too, was, like, she was in some photos and things like that? Or at least I wasn't around in the fandom then, but, like, wasn't she, like, from what I've read, like, wasn't she kind of, like, around in some photos? But, like, clearly she was shooting, but she was shooting, like, the videos that Kelly watches. So it wasn't, like... Yeah, like, like, flashbacks. Right. It wasn't actually, like, her being a part of, like, Ambo 61 and stuff, like, but she was shooting, like, flashbacks. So she was around, but, like, she wasn't really around. That's true. That is true. See, behind the and didn't the cast say they was shooting flashbacks this for season six? Somebody said that. Yeah, I think that Derek had hinted at it in his Hollywood Life article. Um, I think he hinted at it. So we might see flashbacks just because I know he had said we had seen them in 301. So we might. I don't know. It's it's an interesting it's interesting to you know think about it. Uh, yeah, because I'm of the school of thought that I'm like now Mouch will be fine, whatever. So to hear your side of it, Brian, I'm like, wait a second, maybe not. But someone Holy has crap. to. I mean, hasn't Derek confirmed pretty much that someone dies? Uh uh-uh, uh no. Um, I could have sworn someone dies. Yeah, no. he said that. I thought he said that. Did he? Okay. See, so what I remember is him saying that. Not everybody is back, but they what they can't reveal is that it's for different reasons. So it might not actually be death, but oh. maybe I'm looking at this through rose-colored glasses, and I shouldn't be because I know better. Well, either way, I'm of the school that thought that Mouch is definitely gone. Like, he's gone from Firehouse 51. Like, he's going to retire, or he's going to be dead. Yeah. To put it bluntly. No, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that a firefighter would have a heart attack and then come back for duty or be cleared to come back for duty. But I could be entirely wrong. I know nothing about this. Well, right. if there's a time jump, it depends on the time jump, too, maybe. True, true. I forgot about the time jump. Yeah, um, all very true. So. Oh, that happens. Yeah, so Mouch collapses. He kind of says it over the radio. And the minute he says that, you know, Mouch is having a heart attack, Cruz just, like, opens the waterworks. And I, you know, there are certain actors and shows that I watch where I'm like, man, nobody cries like this person. But I'm telling you, on Chicago Fire, nobody cries like Joe Minoso. Yeah, he's the king of it. He's the king of crying. And it's... But the thing is, it's not over dramatic. Like, he does it in a way that is so believable and, you know, makes it seem so realistic. Like, because some actors, when they cry, like, you can tell that, like, they had to do something, like, extra steps in order to make them cry that much. But for Joe, it seems so real. Like, it seemed just so natural. And, I mean, 
Yeah, he's the king of crying. He really is, though. And it, I, it always takes me back to the episode when Herman gets stabbed and Cruz has that moment where he apologizes and the tears are just flowing. And, like, you can tell it comes from a place of real emotion and real vulnerability where he's just so apologetic for what has happened. Yeah. So, yeah, he's absolutely the king of crying. So, of course, he has that way of crying that just hits all of us in the field. So we were all – all of us were just wrecks, just like, ah, oh, this is so sad. Yeah, and I so, think – so go going off just really quick, I mean, so in one of the emails we got this week – um, some one of the points that I thought was really good was when we were talking about like in terms of you know match and cruise. I think um, a listener Rachel she brought this up and she says you know you know in this moment where kind of Cruz realized that like he knows that he might not ever get to say sorry if match doesn't make it. She says you know she thinks that she fears that Cruz is going to go down this whole guilt trip thing that he had kind of like when Flacco the whole Flacco storyline happened and you know like how painful that was even you know not only for Cruz but for us as viewers because I love Cruz so much and I hate seeing him beat himself up over something that like yes he had a little bit of control over but like in the grand scheme of things it wasn't really his fault you know like with Flacco yes he's the one that chose not to say Flacco but he didn't cause the fire he wasn't the one that put Flacco there in the first place just like in this situation with Mouch is like, yes, he's upset at Mouch and like he's angry at Mouch and he said some really nasty things to Mouch, but he's not the one that made Mouch have a heart attack and can't escape this fire. Like that wasn't Cruz's fault, but Cruz takes on the guilt in both of those situations or supposedly in the Mouch situation, but he does in the Flacco situation. You know, Cruz takes on that guilt as it is his fault and that he's the one that caused this whole thing. And, you know, that's just kind of the, it shows kind of the kind hearted, you know, person that Cruz is, but I thought that was a really good point in this email that we got that, you know, I would hate to see Cruz go down that road again. We've already seen it once, but at the same time, it made me think, I was like, well, maybe that would make sense, you know, and then maybe Leon's the one that comes and rescues him from this guilt trip that he has, because in the article from, I think that was the Yahoo article that we saw that Leon's coming back, but, you know, it says, you know, he's coming back from different circumstances. So I'm assuming it means not gang-related circumstances. So I thought that'd be really interesting. It's like, huh, well, maybe Leon's the one that's going to come rescue him from this gate. Like, I just thought it made – I thought that was a really good point that I wanted to bring up. Yeah, and I I love, love, love that Rachel tied it back to Flacco. I was not even thinking about that. I wasn't either. I wasn't either. Yeah, it just – I love that because it's completely true that, you know – that that's there and he could go down that road again of just beating himself up over it. So I love that. Um, yeah. And you know, I agree. Cruz is a little too hard on himself. Sometimes he beats himself up, but you know, it, yeah. Um, and that's part of the reason why the minute it comes down from Herman that, you know, Mouch is having a heart attack, Cruz immediately springs into action and he's looking at Bowden and Bowden's looking at him and he's like, let us go inside. Let's go. And Bowden is just kind of more level-headed about it. He's seeing this fire just getting worse and worse. And he's like, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. And this is the point where things just kind of start exploding. So Cruz and Bowden are finally about to go inside. And they're about to walk towards the door. And it explodes because explosions everywhere. So they realize that. And Cruz is just kind of like, Oh, no. Now what? So that's happening. Meanwhile, on the inside, Casey finds this person. Casey grabs this person. And on his way out, 
something explodes and the roof collapses. So now Casey is trapped. Bowden and Cruz are outside just like helpless. They can't do anything. Severide is on the other side of this wall trying to get to Casey, but it's not working. I think Stella is stuck. Um, Herman's trying to save Mouch. Um, Otis is still inside somewhere and things are just insane. So let me pull up my notes and see where I was. Okay, there we go. So, so rude. Um, yeah, so, you know, Severide's trying to get to his BFF. It's just not happening. Um, yeah, he's trapped. Cruz and Bowden try to go in. The explosion blocks them. So finally, they're just kind of on the radio and they're just begging somebody to come in. And that's when Casey gets on the radio. And yeah, Bryna, don't cry. <laughs> I know. Uh, We're good. Okay. I just like, I have so many feels about this whole Dawson, Casey, like, scene. But I'll let you start explaining what happened. Okay, so Casey gets on the radio. And the first thing he says, he's like, is Gabby there? And Gabby immediately is like, I'm right here. What the hell is happening? Um, And there was a moment, maybe five or so minutes before this, that Gabby looked at Brett with this look on her face of just sheer panic. And Brett was like, they will get out. They always do. And Gabby's face was just so not sure about it. So, okay. So Casey asks for Gabby. Gabby gets on the radio. Casey takes off his mask. Why the hell does he take off his mask? Why? Because he wants to be able, this is stupid, but like he wants Gabby to really hear it. He doesn't want his voice to be muffled in what could be their last conversation. Uh, With that, I know. It hurts. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. And I wrote out what he said so I can read it word for word. Make us cry, Brian. So, go for it. I know. Here we go. So he takes off his mask so she can hear his voice. And then he pours his heart out and he says, Gabby, you know how much you mean to me, right? He's like, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Gabby, I want you to know, I want you to remember us happy and together holding each other. He's like, you're my miracle, Gabby. You're my miracle. And I love you. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's so oh sad. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> and I think, and I think to me, I think what makes this final scene with Casey and Dawson even more painful is that, you know, they spent this past day like yelling at, ch- at each other and being apart. And so when it comes down to it, and like I said, this might potentially be the last conversation that they have with each other. I mean, that's why we're so upset. Like, that's why we're sitting here like pulling our hair out and crying and, you know, because it kills and you. Of, like, wine. And I think, you know... Right, and I think suddenly what they were fighting about, which is, you know, Gabby's father, like, it doesn't seem so as important as getting to say goodbye just in case Matt doesn't make it out there. And I think that's part of the reason why he takes off his mask is because he wants Gabby to really hear the words that he's saying because it's his way of apologizing without actually apologizing, without actually saying, I'm sorry. He's saying, you know, you know how much you mean to me. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I fucked up. Like, in this situation, that shouldn't matter. But, like, at the same time, you know, like, we're all sitting here thinking, it's Dossie. Like, there's no way Matt's the one that's going to be dying, you know. But it's it was, I mean, these last four months, thinking about that moment and those words, you're my miracle, Gabby, you're my miracle. Like, 
these last four months have been hell and I'm really excited for three weeks to hurry up and get here so we can move on with our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, yeah, the, you're my miracle. It just, it hurts. Oh my God. It's so bad. And even worse than that is the next day after that finale, Derek posted the script page from that last scene. And I love, love, love when he posts the script page. I'm a huge nerd. I love to see it on the page. And something that we found out that had been cut from the final version, thank God, is that Matt's last line was supposed to be goodbye, my love. And like, could you imagine if he had said that? It would have destroyed us. And that would have been the last phrase we were hanging on for three or four months. I couldn't have done it. I mean, you're my miracle is already hard enough, but like, goodbye, like that, like, it would have killed me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, Casey's just like trying to get out of there. He's looking the wall is bubbling, which I think is really bad in firefighter terms. Uh, Severide is pounding away at the wall and Herman thinks Mouch is dead and just it ends in a state of complete chaos. And that is the last image we're left with of season five. So, yeah. Oh, man. It's just so it's just so emotional and just so brutal even to talk about and just rehash because you know Gabby feels terrible they all feel terrible about it and things just went so badly so crazy but like you said we're only three weeks away from knowing what the hell happened so that's good um some things that we do know about 601 do we well I thought we knew stuff and now I'm blanking um I mean, well, we already recapped it. I mean, you know, we know that it picks up right, like, basically, like, minutes after it happens. Like, this thing happens. And then, like Ashley said, we have a time jump. Ashley, do you remember how long the time jump is? Have they said how long it's supposed no. to be? Okay. So we don't know how long the time jump is, but I'd assume, like, at least a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. So we know what time jumps. And then just, like, the things that we said, you know, we know Brett's friends coming to town. You know, we know... Stella's having problems with her landlord, so she survives. Severide has this whole thing about no house guests, so he survives. <laughs> we don't know anything about Mouch. We don't know anything about Herman. We don't know anything about Casey. Remember when um, we thought Severide died because Taylor hasn't been on set? We hasn't been spotted on set, so we thought he died. Yeah, you and I had talked about that. We were like, well, wait a second. I, we were at that point of hiatus where you just kind of – grasp at straws and come up with theories and run with them so I remember I had messaged you and I was like Taylor hasn't been on set what the hell is happening does he die and you were like no that's ridiculous Gina and I was like okay you're probably right so I do remember that I do but yeah let's touch on that so Brian I know you think Mouch is gonna die Ashley who do you think is gonna die Mouch really I could probably see it yeah Am I just being naive here? Because I could be, I think it's going to be Canel. Oh. I just think. How do you survive a heart attack in a fire? Well, not even that. I just like kind of going off of that point, Ashley. I think they set it up. And maybe this is me like being like reading too much into the fact that like they've set it up so perfectly. But I just don't. I think it's kind of then stupid on their parts that like they've set Mouch down this hole of like wanting him to retire 
having him this heart attack and then just being like jokes everything's gonna be okay and Mouch doesn't die and he comes back to work at the firehouse like it doesn't like something he's definitely gone so like I don't also see how Mouch is gonna work in if like he survives like he makes it through the fire and then what he's just retired and he's still gone off the show like that doesn't really make sense and like He's not going to, like, in this new job, we're not going to see him around. Like, I mean, I guess he would show up in random scenes at Molly's or, like, on PD or something with Platt. But, like, I don't know. I just, like, there's they put almost too much circumstances for him to leave to make it seem that, like, he's not, like, that he could come back. True. True. Because I feel like if they just were, like, he was going to retire – and then the whole thing with the fire happened, like, he didn't have the heart attack, then I could see, like, the fire changing his thoughts and, like, him being like, oh, this jokes, I actually do belong here and I do, like, I feel like I need to be here, like, like, have that fire be an awakening call for him. But with the fire and the retirement and the heart attack, like, it all just seems a little too much for him to come back from. True. Very true. Yeah, those are all great points. You know, and my only reason for thinking it's Canel is because he's expendable. So, obviously, my analysis is not that well thought out. Well, and I keep thinking, I forgot, I mean, just until you said that, I mean, I forgot he was even in the fire. Yeah. I I forgot that was a thing. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Canel. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, all good points. But, yeah, so, um, you know, we wanted to finish up with some random thoughts that we had about the finale. Um, Brian, I know you had a couple, so go for it. Yeah, I mean, I already touched on it a little bit, but basically, cigar chats with Casey and Severide are the best thing ever, and I need them. I need one per episode because we don't get enough of them, and I just I love that bromance so much. And there's just a couple moments, and I mean, this has happened like basically ever since Casey and Dawson got married. But like every time Casey refers to Gabby as his wife, it's just like it never gets old. Ooh. Like. It really doesn't. And, like, he did it. Like, he said something. Oh, I think it was in his, like, cigar chat with Severide. He said something about, you know, my wife did blah, 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 whatever he said. And I was like, man, like, I was just sitting there. I was like, yeah, that never gets old. Like, it really doesn't. Those are just my random thoughts. Like, I was just like, yeah. These, those are great Yeah, moments. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it has not sunken in that Gabby and Casey are married. And I kind of hope that it never does. Because every time Matt says wife, I'm like, ah! I get so happy about it. I'm like, they're married. So, I mean, yeah, I just, I hope it never sinks in because I love that feeling. Yeah, it's a great feeling. And it, like I said, this was like one of the first times it really hit me. And I was like, oh, right. They're married. Their marriage was a great, that wedding was great. Everything is just so great, except in this episode. But everything otherwise has been great. <laughs> yeah. So, Ashley, did you have any random thoughts about the finale? No. Not really. Y'all touched on everything. Yeah. Um. I yeah. You pretty much nailed it on the head, Bryna. Because yeah, I I love when Matt says wife, and I love how in that episode it was so pronounced. How he was like, "Ask my wife." I'm like, yeah. Let's please let's please just single that out and say it as loud as we can every single time, because it's just so wonderful. Um. Yeah, yeah. So I you know I think that's all. Unless we had any other points that we needed to cover, did we? No, I think that's it. I mean, yeah, that's our recap of 550, 
522. 522. Yeah, 552. <laughs> Could you imagine? I'm trying to combine Firehouse 51. Five, Numbers yeah, everywhere. 522. Yeah. So next week, we will cover the Chicago PD finale. Um, season 4. I'm going to need a whole bottle of wine for that one. Sister. Uh, season 4, episode 23. Yeah. 23, yeah. Yeah. Um, God, what's it called? I'm blanking. What's the title of the episode? I don't remember. I'll be honest. I don't remember. I have yeah, I don't remember no idea. I had it. I forgot it. But next week we will cover the Chicago PD finale. Um, get us on Twitter. Follow us, please. We are at Meet Us at Molly's. We are on iTunes now, guys. iTunes. Go and on And Instagram. And Instagram. Surprise, we got an Instagram page. So find us on iTunes. Subscribe. Rate us. Review us. Love us, please. Instagram, we are Meet Us at Molly's. Uh, the Facebook page is the same thing, Meet Us at Molly's. Um, email us your thoughts, meetusatmolly's at gmail.com. Just, we want to hear everything. So please get in contact with us, share your feels, tell us everything. We are listening. And yeah, um, follow us individually on Twitter, Gina Watches TV. I'm Bryna K13, B R Y N A K13. And I'm Ashnick095. Beautiful. All right, guys. So, yeah, follow us everywhere. Email us. Get ready for next week because it's going to be a doozy. And we will see you then. Bye. Bye.